Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. My vision for this podcast has always been to share the stories of people living with chronic and life-threatening conditions, in part to raise awareness of the communities that Health Union supports, but also to help increase empathy to what people with chronic conditions are going through. I have been humbled and inspired by the amazing advocates who contribute content and share their personal stories through our communities. I've learned something from every conversation I've had on this podcast, and for our 50th episode, I wanted to share with you just a few of those special moments. As of this recording, Health Union owns and operates 31 online communities, and several more will be launched later this year. Every condition has its own symptoms and challenges, and every person has their own unique experience. And while no two people ever experience the same thing, I believe we can learn from others how they manage or overcome challenges and apply those learnings to our own struggles. Health Union currently has six cancer-related communities. Hearing you have cancer is a life-changing moment for many people. Here's Will Jones, a contributor to ProstateCancer.net. It's the last thing that anybody wants to hear, that they have cancer. And so uh, initially it was, uh, you know, it, it had a big impact. You know, I think that for me, what I've accept, one of the things I've accepted in this, in this whole experience is I, I, call it a, I call it having hope without having expectations. Yeah. I think that's a big leap for anybody to make. You know, we want to have an expectation that something's going to be taken care of or solved or fixed in a certain amount of time with a certain amount of treatment. But I, you have to have the long view on something like this. You know, I expect to live for a long time. And, um, and so I, and I have to understand that this recovery is going to be a long-term process as well and that, you know, I may have to access other resources in order to get where I want to get to. So I think short-sightedness can be, you know, the enemy of recovery in a disease like this. Um, take the long view and just kind of have a level of acceptance that um, is going to be, I think, in the long run helpful in, in, you know, in the recovery process. And the other thing I would just say is that it's really important for anybody that's involved with prostate cancer to fight that perception that it's not a big deal. Um, That tears me up just sitting here. Yeah. To think that there are people out there who have prostate cancer and for some reason other people don't take it seriously. Uh, and I don't know how you fight that perception, but I think that's something that PC.net and Health Union in general, or specifically PC.net, can help fight that perception because uh, it's a life-changing experience regardless of whether or not you go for radiation or the prostatectomy. It, it changes your life when you get a cancer diagnosis. I have heard from people with many different types of cancer who have been dismissed as having a, quote, good type of cancer. This is hurtful and invalidating to their experience. And while Will talks about some of the challenges of long-term side effects of treatment, for people who are living with metastatic cancer, 
the stage of cancer which has spread to other parts of the body and is incurable. The experience of cancer treatment is ongoing. Here's Abigail Johnston, a contributor to advancedbreastcancer.net, who is living with metastatic breast cancer. My mom had had breast cancer, but I'd never heard of metastatic breast cancer. Uh, to me, you were stage four and then you died in my uninformed mind before this. And so the concept of living while you're dying was something that was completely foreign. And I certainly have not, not figured it all out, but I think two and a half years in that we have developed coping mechanisms around this. So much of what we see in our society is the cancer experience of you're diagnosed with an earlier stage, you go through surgery or radiation or chemo, and then you're done and you're a survivor, right? And it's very different for someone who's living with it every day. What, what yes. do you wish people understood? So compassion fatigue is a very real thing. And I think that because people do know a lot about that, what we call active treatment, right? So your surgeries, but kind of that initial chemo, sometimes radiation is in there. It's intense and it's compacted into a very short period of time. And so I think that people are generally conditioned to think about an illness that way. There's a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so I think the thing that's the hardest for people to understand about any type of chronic illness, but in particular metas any metastatic disease, is that treatment never ends. It will never be over. In fact, it's bad to hope for treatment to end because you're dead. So, so that's not a good end point. But, but people don't understand that it's there. And then part of that, I, I've written a bit on my blog about um, what I call scanxiety, which is anxiety when you have a scan and we put it together because why not? It's fun to say one word rather than five. But the, the experience of having regular scans where the outcome could be you're feeling like you're back at square one. That experience is very difficult to translate to people because I know the worst thing that could happen. Yes, I've lived through the worst thing that could happen. Yes, I'm still living with that. But that does not mean that it's not almost like a PTSD, like I am sucked emotionally right back to that, those first weeks, those first months of just being flat on the floor and unable to move. So those are, I think, two big things that people don't grasp. And, and I think the, the final kind of, you know, to round out a top three is people don't understand that um, a person may look healthy on the outside, but that doesn't mean that everything's okay. And so other than, you know, the breast cancer, I'm healthier now than I've ever been in my entire life. Like I do so much to keep my immune system healthy. I have a doctor that checks the levels of all of my vitamins regularly. Like who checks the levels of their vitamins in their blood? I do that. So I do all of those things. And so yes, my skin is better than it ever has been before in my life. Amazing. No acne. So happy about that. But 
I'm still sick. And so I get, you know, like I said, I have a handicap sticker. I, I've gotten notes on my car. Like, you shouldn't have that. You're healthy. I've never That's had anybody say horrible. anything. Isn't it bad? I've never had anybody say something to my face. Um, but I get looks a lot. Like, I park in the handicap spot and people are, like, looking at me, you know, pretty bad. So I get it. I look healthy. I understand that. Um, in fact, sometimes uh, I think when we were advocating for things and I was bald, it was almost better because it was like they could see it, mm -hmm. right? Um, now that my hair's gotten a little bit longer and I do look more normal, whatever normal is, I look healthier, whatever. Sometimes it's hard for people to understand the chronic nature. Now that my disease is not chronic, but there's a lot of chronic things I have to deal with like pain. Um, just the ongoing side effects of all the medication. So just because people don't look sick doesn't mean that they're not sick. I tell as many people as possible the, the analogy of the spoons. Um, I don't know if anybody else on this podcast has talked about that, but just the idea that we wake up in the morning with a set number of spoons. And spoons represents energy. So... When I was healthy, I probably woke up with 50 spoons in the morning and I would be spending those spoons all day long. And by the end of the day, I might be out, but I might still have a few left. Now I often run out of spoons before lunch. And that, that's just the sad fact of the, the matter is that I get up and I take a shower and that's at least a spoon. I take my kids to school and that's at least another, maybe sometimes two spoons, depending on how much they're running and I have to like corral them walking into the school building. So yeah, I've still got energy, but my energy is depleted so much faster that by the end of the day, I, I really don't have anything left. Um, so that th those are things that I think that um, people who are healthy need to hear. But there's also a very sad divide between people who are diagnosed with early stage breast cancer and people who are diagnosed stage four. Abigail mentioned the chronic pain she deals with and pain, an enormous amount of pain, is a common experience for many who live with chronic conditions as well as life-threatening conditions like cancer. When I spoke with Leslie Wren Vandiver, a contributor to rheumatoidarthritis.net, she shared what her life is like living with rheumatoid arthritis. These days, my RA is concentrates its its attention mostly on my my feet and my hands, mm. um, which is good in many ways. In that, at least I, I have no mobility issues. Other than, you know, if, the, if I have a flare that's too bad, it, it'll slow me down pretty good. But I am uh, under uh, good treatment right now, and I think my RA is, is pretty much as controlled as it's going to get. When my hands hurt, um, it can keep me from doing the little things that we need to do every day. You know, if I'm cooking or cleaning or, you know, or going to the grocery store, you know, whatever it is, it can stop me from being able to, to do things as well as I'd like and makes me less sure of myself. You know, when I go to pick something up, I'm always careful about how I do it mm. because sometimes my hands don't hold. And I've got, you know, so I use both hands instead of one. Can you describe what a flare is like? 
for me today, a flare is kind of a constant ache that intensifies when I move the joint. And because I am under pretty good treatment right now, that is usually the worst of it is just that it'll hurt when I move it or it'll make me, uh, or slip my hands, make me less uh, able to grasp. But when it, in earlier days, a flare would, I, it would feel like uh, that ache would become so intense that it would feel like someone had, was sticking a knife between my joints and then flexing it back and forth. Oh. Yeah, it was horrible. What have you found helps you cope with the physical and emotional aspects of that level of pain? A long time ago, um, and this is, I'm going to say this was back in the 80s, I, I was outdoors one day and I, was, I was, had my dog out with me. We were going for a walk and I was having a really bad flare in one of my feet. And so walking was just, it was taking all I could do just to take it each step. And I was just feeling so miserable. And I looked down, and there we were standing on a lawn. And there right at my feet, there was a a circle of mushrooms. And I'd never seen, they call them a fairy circle. And I'd never seen one before. And I was just... I was just sort of overawed. It was one of those moments, right, mm-hmm. where you just kind of get stopped with wonder. And for me, that was probably the moment when I realized that dealing with my world as it was was going to require me to start looking at it in a different way. And from that moment on... Um, I really started appreciating the the very small things in our lives, in our world that that are gifts and that we can be appreciative of because sometimes you have to do that when you've got something big that's really causing you a problem. It's a good thing to stop and say, yes, but but look, here's a a fairy circle. Who knew? or, or, oh my gosh, look at the that that beautiful sky today. Look at that sunrise. You know, these are these are to me those things are the the things that get me through each day. And when I'm not, I mean, it's it's helped me in all other aspects of my life as well to be to be mindful that way. Ren isn't the only one who leverages mindfulness to cope with symptoms. Mindfulness also came up in this conversation with Angela and Carl Robb. Carl lives with Parkinson's disease, and Angela is his wife and care partner. They are both contributors to Parkinson'sDisease.net. One thing is, that over the time, I've realized that um, um, things can always, things can always be a lot worse. We take clean water for uh, for, for uh, just running just clean running water for for, for granted. Um, we can, we take. The food we eat for for granted uh, that we're eating unpolluted. Uh, we don't have, we don't have to go out and uh, gather our own meal. Well, we um, uh, some people uh, have to walk miles to get their get their water. Um, we uh, we we can uh, I, I can go see a doctor 
on, on call. Um, I, um, that, that, uh, we take we take things like that for granted. Uh, so, um, so yes, I have Parkinson's, but tomorrow, I get, tomorrow, um, someone else is gonna, in a few minutes, someone's gonna hit, gonna hit by a bus. It's all relative. It's, it's all relative to a point that I, I'm fortunate. I'm, perception. It's perception. It's 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 reality that we we all have something, and some, some, we all have something, or we'll, we'll get something. Um, it's it's a, it's. it's I don't know what they call it, maybe not logic, but it's understanding that um, that uh, I think that having had a disease this this long, I've, I've realized that um, it is it is perception of what 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 we're all going to deal with something that is like whether now or later. But so um, so you uh, and we're all part of um, part of life. Death is part of life, and that's uh, uh, but but, but uh, I don't I don't plan on dying anytime soon. But but. but <laughs> So, I hope not. Well, and and I think it's um, it's more about how do you address the challenge. Mm-hmm. Everybody has challenges, like you said. You know, we don't have to walk miles to get our water, but every day watching him, you know, pull him, you know, just sometimes when the medication isn't working in the morning, just trying to get out of bed and um, get your first medication for the day is a struggle or getting a bottle open or it's small tasks. And so I think I benefit from his perspective, his perception of what's going on. And sometimes I help him change his perception of what's going on. And we try to take it one step at a time, literally one foot on the floor walking if the medication isn't working then you just have to say okay just take one step that's all that matters and being mindful mindfulness of the situation at hand it's not thinking about what's going to happen in 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 years it's about how are we living today right this moment and how do we get to the next goal Um, and it's not big goals a lot of the times but that being present in the moment I think is a strategy for living that a lot of people when you get diagnosed with a, a chronic condition, um, they kind of throw that out of the way and think that you know they've lost everything. But it's really just taking one step. It's doing one thing. It's it, and moving, and then adding that all up to equal a quality of life. And I think you can have a quality of life with Parkinson's and and cope and and move through it. And Parkinson's, as strange as it sounds, has been a great teacher. It's taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot about life. It's taught me about love. It's taught me about uh, starting my own business. It's taught me about writing my own books. It's taught me about uh, it people. Me, people. It's given me a lot of friends. It's given me a whole other family. It's uh, um, a purpose. It's given me a purpose, yeah. As Carl mentioned, many people with chronic conditions have found purpose in their life by leveraging their personal experience. One of those is Lorene Alba, an asthma educator and a contributor to asthma.net. Originally in college, I majored in culinary arts. I owned a few restaurants. I worked as a chef for 10 years. I was doing a lot of volunteer work and decided I wanted to go into the world of nonprofits and interviewed for a position with the American Lung Association where I had mentioned that I had asthma. And it was a position to work in their tobacco cessation program. I did not get that position, but they called me a few days later and they said, hey, we have this asthma position open. 
you mentioned you have asthma. Would you like to take this position? And so I did, and within the first few months, I learned so much about asthma and realized that I knew nothing about my disease and how just a little bit of education like that respiratory therapist provided me in the emergency room could really change people's lives. Mm. And so I just made it my personal mission and professional mission to become a certified asthma educator so nobody else would, like at least people that I help, would not have to go through what I went through. So what is one thing that having a chronic condition has taught you about yourself? Wow, that's a, um, that's a great question. I think it, um, I think it teaches you a couple of things, right? I think one thing is that it teaches you that things can be really hard. You know, like life can be really hard and sometimes you have to accept help when you don't want to accept help. You have to admit defeat sometimes. Um, you know, I wrote in one of my articles about an asthma episode where I, I knew I had to go to the emergency room and I was just so sick that I couldn't even bring myself to, like, get down the stairs and get in the car and go to the emergency room. And, you know, I kept debating all night, should I call 911 and have the ambulance come get me? Mm. So I think you learn that sometimes you make poor decisions. I mean, that was a poor decision. I should have gone to the emergency room much sooner, right? So sometimes you you know what's going to happen. You don't want to deal with it. You don't want to go to the emergency room. You don't want to get admitted, right? So you can make some poor decisions about your health. And then also you learn that you're pretty damn strong, that even mm -hmm. when you make those poor decisions and you put yourself through some things that maybe you shouldn't have or just an asthma episode on its own is bad enough, that you can get through it, right? I am strong enough to go to the emergency room by myself. I am strong enough to stand at the bottom of the stairs and know that climbing them might be a problem, but I'm going to try it anyway. You know, so you, so mm. you kind of learn to, um, you just learn how strong you are. And I think when you come out of these asthma episodes and these illnesses and you look back and you think, wow, how did I get through that? You know, I must be a lot stronger than I thought I was. Yeah. Another contributor that I had the pleasure of speaking to is Jed Finley. Jed is a special education teacher at the elementary level and a contributor to ankylosingspondylitis.net and axialspondyloarthritis.net. Ankylosing spondylitis and axial spondyloarthritis are autoimmune conditions that affect the joints in the spine and hips, causing tremendous pain. As Abigail previously mentioned in the description of the spoon theory, how living with chronic pain impacts a person's energy levels, Jed explains how he strategizes daily tasks to manage pain and lower energy. I kind of have to plan out my, uh, my shopping trips, you know. Um, I, I like to map it out, know where I'm going, so I take as few steps as possible. Um, the days are just kind of browsing around and seeing what's there and going to multiple stores. I can't go to multiple stores, you know, two at the most if I'm feeling good. Um, and the drive-through, uh, you know, grocery pickup <laughs> if I'm not feeling good. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I try not to think that I've lost a lot of independence, but 
again, I, I loved working at the Autism Center. Unfortunately, AS um, made me made it so I had to stop doing that. Um, you know, like certain those are like those little things that you know, I I held on to for so long, and then I just had to give them up um, because my body just unfortunately could not keep up um, with what I wanted to do. So, and again, fortunately, I got my online support groups, so I can still you know use that heart that I was giving at the autism center uh, to. Um, you know, help other people. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a good stand-in, but, um, yeah, just kind of the, the freedom of, of choosing what I want to do day to day. You know, I have a four day weekend and, um, right now because of parent teacher conferences and, you know, we're talking about cleaning out the garage because we moved back in April. We haven't unpacked practically anything. Um, but I don't know, will I be able to, you know, spend even half an hour cleaning out the garage, you know? We haven't made a dent in anything because I just don't have the energy and I can't lift heavy boxes. So, you know, that freedom of just choosing what I want to do and and then, you know, doing it whenever I want. So that's kind of the biggest loss of freedom I've experienced. Do you think that living with AS has influenced you in any positive ways? Absolutely. I, it's, again, it, it taught me... Uh, to deepen my empathy. I always had it, but it's really deepened it, knowing what it's like uh, for other patients. Um, so I feel like it has made me a better leader, a better, um, you know, I mean, I'm a patient leader, you know, and, um, you know, it's, uh, this one organization kind of defines it, whether you're, you're a consumer or, pro or a producer. And I, I don't really like the consumer term because it makes it sound like you're like a, a scavenger, um, just living off the, the successes of others. But, you know, it's like I, it gives me the opportunity to be a producer, to be, you know, to write my blog posts, to do, you know, podcasts like this, uh, to, you know, get interviews for newspapers and magazines and, and uh, blogs and whatnot, just to kind of provide what I know um, uh, to groups of patients um, who may be needing it. Um, I'll always find that, like, I'll be writing something in one of my support groups or on ankylosingspondylitis.net um, where I'm like, will anyone even care about this? You know, I mean, is this just a me topic? But every single time, people are coming in saying, me too, me too, me too. And, you know, it, it shows that, like, my experience is valid um, to giving hope and understanding to other people out there. Uh, that's probably been the biggest uh, positive effect um, of uh, being diagnosed with AS when I was 12. What do you wish other people knew about ankylosing spondylitis? First of all, that it is forever uh, that... You know, there is no simple cure. Um, yes, there are great medications out there. There are great treatments, um, but none of them are a cure. It's always going to be with me. I hope that someday that someone will come up and say, here is it. Here is that drug. You just inject this one time and you're all done. Um, but unfortunately, even if you, you know, uh, turn off those TNF receptors or whatever, you know, whatever issues cause you your AS, that damage will always be there. You know, if you're once your spine fuses, that's it. It's it's never getting unfused. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sure some kind of surgery would help, but that doesn't sound that sounds worse, honestly. So yeah, AS is forever. Also, that we're not lazy. You know, um, we may look great. We may look amazing. I put on a great face, um, especially around the kids, because I don't want them to see me all hunched over and oh, oh I'm having a bad day. You know, because then they're like, what's wrong with you, Mr. Jed? You know, I, you're five. I don't want to put these burdens on you. Uh, 
Now the sixth graders, I'll share with them a little bit because uh, I think they understand. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to bother them. So I put on my face, you know, I put on my mask of happiness and 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 pep in my step. And when they're not looking, I just collapse, you know. Like, Thank goodness I don't have to pretend anymore. So yeah, we we're not again, we're not pretending to be sick. We're pretending to be well. That's another thing that I I'd love people to understand that. You know, we want, believe me, we want to be well. We want to stop taking all these medications and calling off sick and, and going to all these doctor's appointments. We don't enjoy this, but unfortunately that's our life. Um, so we understand that we are making the best with what we have and we are really trying to get through with a smile on our face. I love how Jed put it, we're not pretending to be sick we're pretending to be well. I think many of us who live with chronic conditions can relate to that. Another person who inspires me is Diane Talbert. Diane lives with plaque psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, as well as fibromyalgia. She is a contributor to several of our online communities, including plaquepsoriasis.com and psoriatic-arthritis.com. One of the constant symptoms Diane experiences is daily pain. And yet when you talk to her or see her, she most often has a smile and a laugh to share with you. Diane talked with me about how important it is to find and connect with others who understand. I went 40 years of my life not meeting one person who knew about my disease, and I felt so alone for mm -hmm. 40 years of my life, so I know what it's like not having anybody to talk to and when I did find support oh my gosh like I said I can't shut up now <laughs> because, <laughs> what, because, <laughs> because you, you really need because you'll get the I mean I was depressed I cried every day because I didn't have anybody an outlet and just just you all having those sites it's like oh my gosh everybody can come they can vent they can they they have stuff to share with people there's people like them who understand it's a great outlet. I think it's awesome. It's just, I don't even know the words to even explain how great that is. Because I'm telling you, I mean, when you are, I mean, when you have, like you said, you have a chronic disease and you have nobody to talk to and you feel like you're alone and nobody understands. That was the other thing with me. Like even my family didn't understand what I was going through. You know, they, they thought I was lazy when I was in pain. I was like, are you serious? They didn't understand that I could, I'm so tired. I can't get up out of bed today. They didn't understand what I was going through at all. Mm. You know, so now just to have a just support system, it's like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Just, you know, this is great. What do you think living with chronic conditions has taught you about yourself? It's taught me to be very understanding of other people's conditions. I think that it has helped me to be a much better person. Um, it's taught me about empathy. It's taught me about, um, I'm not going to say what, even sharing because I, I, I try to um, share as much information with people as I can. Oh, and, and I love helping people now. And I, I have been for years and years now. Um, even if it's because I used to have a support group here in the um, in Maryland, Virginia, D.C., and I'd have people call me. I mean, it'd be one or two o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. and to call me just to ask me questions, and I was like, I, I loved it. It doesn't, it didn't bother me at all because I like helping people. So I mean, but it's it's to me, it's helped me. I, I to me to be a better person, maybe, 
and people always tell me, but oh my God, girl, why are you so nice to everybody? And why are you always smile? Like you say, I, I smile a lot. I don't think I smiled years ago. I don't think I ever smiled. Now I smile all the time. What changed? Um, I think my attitude. I think my attitude has so much to do with it because I used to think, why, why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. Why did I get this? What did I do wrong in life? Why doesn't anybody else in my family have it? And then once I changed my attitude and I was talking to my grandmother or somebody, and I said, I don't know why I have this disease. And she looked at me, and she says, why not? I'm like, um, <laughs> like, what does that mean? She said, and this is what she told me. She says, God gave you this disease because he knew you could handle it, not no one else. This is why you're the only one in the family who has it. And said, this is, what, this is what makes you who you are and makes you a strong person. And, this, and then she also said, this is what's going to take you places. She said, you, you think this is a bad thing, having this disease. This is what's going to help you in life. And she has never been wrong. This, I mean, this was like, having this disease, even though it's bad, but this ha- has taken me places I would have never been, been able to go. People I've, I've seen in my life, I've met, I would have never had this opportunity and not for having this disease. These are just a handful of the amazing conversations you can listen to on Living With from a few of the incredible contributors to our health union communities. I'd like to thank Will Jones from ProstateCancer.net, Abigail Johnston from AdvancedBreastCancer.net, Ren Vandiver from RheumatoidArthritis.net, Angela and Carl Robb from Parkinson'sDisease.net, Laureen Alba from Asthma.net, Jed Finley from AnkylosingSpondylitis.net and AxialSpondyloArthritis.net, and Diane Talbert from Plaxoriasis.com and Psoriatic-Arthritis.com. If you are living with a chronic or life-threatening condition, finding credible information and people who understand what it's like to live with it are invaluable. You can find links to all of our health union communities at health-union.com. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.